I would like us to turn our Bibles today to the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read from verse 25 to 30. Matthew 11, 25 to 30. The Bible says, uh, reading from the New Living Translation, At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from these who think themselves wise and clever and and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father and no one knows No one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give, and the burden I give you is light. May the Lord bless the reading of his words. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gift of life that you've given each one of us today. Thank you, Lord, for yet another day that you've given us in which we shall worship you, glorify your name in all the earth. We pray today that, Lord, open our spiritual eyes and our ears that we may hear what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for every family, every member that has been represented today. We speak your blessings upon each one of us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and pray. Amen. This morning, I would like to talk about what I've entitled, Rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. Now, I know that this is one of uh, the common uh, scriptures or one of the most referred to scriptures in the Bible, which talks about the invitation of God for us to come into rest with him. And so today, I would like us to talk about this very rest in God. Now, I want you to begin to think right now, as we are contemplating on this portion of scripture, what does it mean when you hear this word rest? How do you define rest in your own understanding? What do you consider to be rest? Does it mean after you've labored, after you've worked for a long time and then you sit down, or maybe you take a nap and say, oh, now I'm resting. What does it mean? And as we are looking at this, I want us again to be thinking to say, are there areas in which Right now, you are feeling tired in your life. Are you feeling tired this morning? Are you feeling like giving up perhaps 
Are you feeling like when you wake up, as if that's when you are knocking off from work, you are already tired? Jesus is extending this invitation. He's saying, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Now, I would like first to begin with the context in which this portion of scripture uh, comes from. When we look at this, we hear uh, just in chapter 10, the Bible gives us the scenario or an account when the Lord Jesus Christ was commissioning the disciples. He gave them authority over demons to go and cast out demons to go and heal the sick, to raise the dead, to preach the kingdom of God, to announce the kingdom of God. And he told them to say, whoever welcomes you, then they will be blessed. If they do not, vice versa. You know, and freely you have received, freely you shall give. Then after giving the instructions to the disciples in chapter 11, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ he went to the cities or to the marketplace to preach the word of God. And as he was there, some disciples of John the Baptist approached him. And then they asked him a question to say, are you the one? Are you the Messiah that we've been awaiting? John has sent us. He's inquiring. He wants to know. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Whom we've been waiting all this long? And Jesus did not say yes or no. <laughs> In fact, he just said, go back to John and tell him that the blind are seeing. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The lame are walking. The dead are raised back to life. And the kingdom of God, or the good news, is being proclaimed to the poor. Then they went. After that, Jesus began to speak to the crowds. And he began by saying, What did you go into the desert to see? A man dressed in fine linen or clothes? No. Those who dressed in fine clothes are in palaces. What did you go to see? A weak reed? No. A prophet. And then he said, yes, more than a prophet. And then he declared to say, among men born of a woman that has ever lived, there is no one who is greater than John the Baptist. And then he went ahead and continued to talk about himself. Now, the other thing that we see here, uh, there is also a key verse that we like. You know, I hear a lot of Christians mentioning it, especially in prayer and in spiritual warfare. In verse 12, you know, well, which says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffered, has suffered violence, and the violence shall take it by force. 
We usually quote that. I, for one, I quote that when I'm praying sometimes. <laughs> Praise God. So, this is the context. From there, Jesus will continue to declare cases upon unrepented cities. He declared cases upon Chorazim. He said, who to you, Chorazim? Who to you, Bethesda? Who to you, uh, Sidon and Tyre? Because the miracles that were performed in you, you did the many miracles that were performed in you, you did not believe. If those very miracles were performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, they could have repented. And Jesus added to say, it will be more bearable for you on the day of judgment because of this. Miracles have been performed. You are supposed to believe, but unfortunately, you did not. And Jesus is categorically saying that in these, in you cities, more miracles have been performed than anywhere else. And on the contrary, you are the ones that has not even believed. Then, after that, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, he now came to the prayer that we've read. He prayed to the Father to say, Oh Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things. To the wise, to the intelligent, and for revealing them to the babes or the childlike, meaning his disciples. And then he went on to describe the relationship that is between him and the father. He said that no one knows the father except the son. No one truly knows the Father, except the Son. And no one truly knows the Son except those the Father chooses to reveal him. And after that prayer, Jesus extends an invitation by saying, come to me, all those who are weary and are heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, I want us to understand something from this portion of scripture. First of all, Jesus gives or shows the prerequisites for this invitation. The first one is showing is humility. Okay? Is, is showing humility. First of all, look at the context. He discusses all these things. You know, he talks about unrepented people. And then he comes to this invitation. Before he brings the invitation... He prays first to the Father. And he prays to say, Father, I thank you that you've hidden all these things to the wise, to the intelligent, but you've revealed them to the childlike, 
Now, the, the, the picture that is there for a childlike, it means humility. We remember um, in, uh, in other passages of the gospel, when Jesus Christ was talking about humility in the kingdom of God, he picked up a child and said, if anyone is to be great among you, he must, like, he must be like this child. Amen. Why did he get that example? Or why did he even refer to the childlike? Children are very easygoing, if I may put it in that way. When you tell a child something, a child is not going to take you into debates or to begin to argue about something, to begin to consider, to begin to reason. They will simply accept what they've been taught. They have simple obedience. Unlike, you know, somebody who is matured. Now, in this context, Jesus Christ was dealing with the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the scribes, the masters of the law. These, the religious people, these are the people that were very difficult to convince. Every time we stood up to proclaim about the kingdom of God, the good news, they would rise up and begin to challenge him. They would begin to oppose him. They would begin to question. They would begin to set traps, asking him things, so that, you know, in one way or the other, they could trap him. But the disciples had the faith like children. He just went to them one time, come to me, follow me, and they were obeying just like that. And so we are seeing that before we can enter this rest, before we can accept this invitation, we need to have hearts that are full of humility. We need to have childlike faith. When the Spirit of God is saying, come to this invitation, we need to obey. Hallelujah. We need to be humble. Humble enough to be able to accept. The invitation is open, but it is up to you and me to accept it. And then the second thing, the second prerequisite that we are seeing to this invitation is revelation. The Bible is saying that no one knows the Father except the Son. And no one truly knows the Son except the Father. And to those, he chooses to reveal him. So for you and me to be able to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it is done by faith. It is done by revelation. That's why as we come into this relationship, we come into fellowship with him by revelation. We do not come, you know, maybe by any other means. We come by faith and by revelation. Why am I saying it is by revelation? It's because if I asked you today to say, have you seen Jesus? <laughs> Some of you are going to say, yes, I've seen him in a dream. I've seen him, you know, in a vision. I've seen him, you know, through the word or some kind of revelation. 
You are not going to say, I've seen him physically. I think you understand what I'm saying. So, for us to come to Jesus Christ, he must be revealed to us. For you to receive him as your Lord and Savior, when you remember your salvation experience, you are the revelation. The word came to you in some forms, whether through a preacher or maybe by reading of the scripture, I for one, by reading a gospel tract and then later prayed that believer's prayer. Different experiences. But all that which happened to you and me, that time when we received him, it was orchestrated by the Father in heaven. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 6 and uh, verse 43 there that no one can come to me except the Father draws him. No one can come to Jesus except the Father draw a person to Jesus. So we come to God by revelation. So humility and then revelation. These are the things that are supposed to come prior this invitation. And then, after these things, then the invitation is offered. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Now, look at this. Jesus was inviting the broken. Jesus was inviting the downcast. Jesus was inviting the sick. All those that were weary and burdened with labor, with work, with their sins, or with all kinds of burdens. Those are the ones that he was inviting. In fact, when we look when we take a little, um, a little stock of Jesus' ministry, we are going to see that most of the people that Jesus was dealing with, they were those that would be considered rejected or forsaken or looked down in the society. He even gives the, uh, the same comparison between him and John the Baptist, you know, when he talks, when he's talking up, when he's challenging the faith of the unbelievers, he tells them to say, look, you people, you are very difficult to understand because it's like you don't know what you want. <laughs> if I can put it in that way. It's like you do not know what you want. And then he says, when John the Baptist came, he describes him as a radical prophet. Somebody who, who used to wear strange garments. And then as a prophet, of course, of the Old Testament. And then this man, the other strange thing was that he wasn't living among the people with his fellow people. He was a Nazarite. He was separated. He was set apart. He was living in the bush where he was eating honey and grasshoppers. Strange, even meals, very strange ones. And then he was one of the radical prophets 
That's why Jesus said, among men born of a woman who have ever lived, there is no one who is greater than John the Baptist. This man was just there. He was declaring the word of God, you know, aggressively in such a way that he challenged the religious leaders, he attacked them, he challenged the politicians. He could call them the brood of vipers. Those are very aggressive words. And so Jesus said, when John came, you said that the man has a demon. And when the son of man came with a different lifestyle, he started mingling with the republicans, with the tax collectors, with the sinners. He was eating and drinking with them. Being found everywhere in the marketplace. Of which none of the rabbis of his time were mingling about with people. Of that nature. They looked at him and said, "Mm -mm, this one is not even the Messiah. And is also a gratton and a drunkard. You see? So God gave them the John, uh, John the Baptist classic. They rejected John. Then the Jesus model comes. They reject him again and say, no, no, no. This one is also too much. They were still looking for another one. Even up to now, others are still looking for the Messiah. And so Jesus describes these people to say, look, you are like children playing a game in a marketplace. Now, this game is whereby, it is described as whereby the children are playing together. And as they are playing, we are given a picture that there are some other children that are not participating. Okay? So, they play a flute, which is the wedding songs, signifying celebration, expecting at least all the children to be dancing. And some of these kids, maybe they are just standing there. They are like, no, I'm not interested. And then the children say, okay, we haven't made our friends happy. Let's go ahead and play, you know, a dig, which is the song for mourning. They play the song for mourning. And these kids are like, no, me, I'm not interested even in this. So he compared them to, 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 to such kind of children. He said, you don't know. You don't want anything. So Jesus now is showing, as I've already mentioned, that the invitation that is extending is not inviting these teachers of the law. Of course, if they are willing, they can come. But they were already at odds with him. So he was inviting the broken hearted, the heavy burdened. And how were they burdened? They were burdened by these very teachers of the law, the scribes. In Matthew chapter 23, the Bible will show us that Jesus denounced their authority. He said, look, who to you Pharisees? Because you carry rods and slam them on the shoulders of people. And yet you are not even able to lift a finger to help them. In other words, Jesus was saying, you are good 
at giving the laws, the regulations, the do's and don'ts to the people. But yet, you yourselves, you are not giving them a way out. You are not helping them to carry out these instructions which you are burdening them. As a result, you are leading them into more oppression. This is when he comes now and extends the invitation to say, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls. And then he mentions, we, we need to consider three things from verse 28 to 30. First, there is the invitation. Come to me. After this invitation of coming to Jesus, he describes the condition of the people that he is inviting. All those, not everyone, but all those who feel weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. So there is the invitation and the promise at the same time. Come to me. And when you come, come to me, what kind of people are supposed to come? All those who are weary and heavy burdens. And what will you receive? What is the reward of your acceptance of this invitation? You will find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. Are we heavy burdened today? Have we been going about our Christianity with a set of rules, the do's and don'ts, like those of the Old Testament, like those of the Pharisees perhaps? And then we are seeing that we are not making any progress every time, you know, we are fearing and we feel like mm -mm, Christianity is not worth it. Maybe you're even contemplating of stopping, you know, of leaving the faith. I'm here to encourage us that Jesus is extending this invitation. Are you feeling weary? Are you feeling heavy burdened? Are you feeling tired right now? Jesus is saying, come to me. You are the one. Is it maybe because of the COVID, you know, um, a season that has left you tired. Jesus is saying, come. Is it maybe sickness? Are you burdened with sickness? Jesus is saying, come. And I'll give you rest. He'll give you healing. Now, we need to understand something. When Isaiah earlier asked to say, let's think about the question, what is the definition of our rest? In human understanding, when we talk about rest, it's thinking about after you work hard, you go home, maybe uh, lift up your, your, your feet, or maybe make a fall and take a nap, or maybe just go on bed and take a nap. That's what we call rest. 
Or maybe just drop everything that we are doing and then say, I am resting. That's what we call rest. But in the biblical perspective, according to the word of God, that's not actually the rest that just ends there. That's the beginning point. But it goes beyond. There is more to that. Now, let me show you in the book of Genesis chapter 2. Okay? Let me just read uh, Genesis chapter 2 very quickly so that we can see what, what, what I'm, I'm talking about. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, I would like to pose the question there. After hearing that God rested, what picture are you having about God? What did he do? As I said, that in human perspective, we are going to think of sleeping or taking a nap or maybe just be raising around, around you know, without doing anything. You just say, I oh, know I'm resting. This is, my, this is my off day. I'm just off. I'm resting. The Bible tells us about God that one of the characters of God is that he never slumbers nor sleeps. God never goes to bed. God never sleeps. God never gets tired. That's what the Bible tells us. So, what did he rest from? Was he tired? No. <laughs> God was never tired. But what happened is that he had accomplished his work. He had accomplished what he had planned to do at that particular time. So after he finished everything and he saw that everything was in their right place and all looked good, then he rested. So the rest, the true rest that comes, it's fulfillment of purpose. Fulfillment of purpose is the true rest that comes. Now, I can stress that more. What that means is that you and me as human beings God has placed a desire within us. A desire that is yearning for fulfillment. That is yearning to accomplish something. Until we accomplish that which God has deposited within us. That's when we are going to find rest for our souls. Now, I can also say that it is possible that one can be sleeping, laying in bed with their eyes closed, yet their soul is not at rest. This is true. Their soul will be resting. 
They will be, they, 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 they will have no peace. There will be no peace. But the true rest can only be found in God when we invite. Actually, Jesus is the one who extends the invitation. It is not us, actually. He initiates the invitation. And when we accept and respond at that moment, that's when we are going to find rest for our souls. As long as we have no God in our lives, as long as people out there have no God in their lives, their souls are at war. They have no peace. Their souls are resting. Their souls are experiencing unbearable noise. That's why some other people, you know, they, they begin to feel as if they are losing their minds, you know. They begin to hear voices. They begin to, to feel things because of stress. Maybe because of even, it, 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 it even goes to the extent whereby even depression comes in, you know. They begin to feel depressed. They begin to feel, you know, just sick. They begin to feel purposeless to say, ah, no, there's nothing that I can do. You know, I don't feel that drive. It's because they feel discouraged. They feel crushed. Their souls are weary. They are tired. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And I'll give you rest. He's giving us a promise to say, look, the rest is coming. If you just come to me, if you can just come to me. Now, to, to talk further about this rest we are talking about, the way God looks at this rest, the rest, of, the rest in the eyes of men and in the eyes of God is different. God's rest does not mean that we just sit and we do nothing. In fact, even when you say that you have gone, you know, to just have some time off, it doesn't mean that, you know, you are just going to sit. For example, Pastor Michael and the family had gone on the sabbatical leave. Now, we are going to hear a lot of stories about what God has been doing during this time. So what simply happens most of the times is that we tend to just switch from one thing and concentrate on the other thing. Hallelujah. Let me give you another example. In the book of Exodus, the Bible tells us that God had sent Moses to go and take the children of Israel out of Egypt to lead them to the promised land where they would have rest. Um, let, me, let, me, let me just uh, show you something in the book of Isaiah very quickly. Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah 63 verse 9, the Bible says, um, in, in all their sufferings, he also suffered and he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up 
and carried them through all the years. But they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he, so he became their enemy and fought against them. Then they remembered those days of old. When Moses led his people out of Egypt, they cried out, Where is the one who brought Israel through the sea with Moses as their shepherd? Where is the one who sent his Holy Spirit to be among his people? Where is the one whose power was displayed when Moses lifted up his hand? The one who divided the sea before them, making himself famous forever. Where is the one who led them through the bottom of the sea? They were like fine stallions racing through the desert, never stumbling. Listen to verse 14. Has with cattle going down into a peaceful valley with the spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You led your people, Lord, and you gained and gained a magnificent reputation. Verse 14. Uh, has with the cattle going down into a peaceful valley, the spirit of the Lord gave them rest. Now, look at this. I want you to take you, I want to take you back to this story. I want you to imagine the children of Israel under the leadership of Joshua, they have approached the promised land where God had said, in this land you will experience rest. And then he sends the spies, already the spies have surveyed. Let me cut off that. The spies have surveyed and then they, they, they have brought the report, you know, uh, Caleb and, uh, and, um, and and Joshua, that time, you know, of Moses, then they discourage some people, the, the ten spies, then these guys stand up. Now, that generation passes, the, the Joshua generation comes, and then you are going to expect to say, okay, God gave them rest because they had the promise that when they reach the promised land, they are going to be at rest. But if you think about it honestly, in our human understanding, when they reached the promised land, the land of Canaan, did they really rest? In our understanding, the answer is no. Why? Because the first welcome which they had was warfare. Now, you can't tell me that, you know, somebody who is fighting with that war is at rest. But... Listen to this. When you are in Christ, even when you are at war with your enemies, you experience God's rest. It sounds unique and not convincing, right? But it is true. Why is it like that? It is because every battle that you encounter when you are in Christ it is not actually your battle. It becomes the Lord's battle. It is him who fights on your behalf. And so you don't feel the impact. It is him who is in charge. 
Your aim is to just advance, to obey his instructions. Look at this. When Joshua and, the, and his army arrived, and the people of Israel arrived um, in, in Canaan, the Bible says that instead of them going to match the first encounter with his words, you know, to begin to kill people, God gave them a very simple instruction. He said, let the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? And then choose representatives from every tribe and begin to march round the city first day, second day, until the seventh day. Then let them blow up the trumpets. And we know what happened. That was prophetic warfare. By the praises of God, the walls of Jericho, the fortified city, began to crumble down. Hallelujah. Can't you see some rest in that? God gave them rest. So even when you are at war, when you are fighting, as long as you go to that war with Jesus, then you are at rest in his name. Hallelujah. In the same way, we fight different battles as Christians. As you are fighting, as you are praying, there are some times, you know, when even our prayers, our spiritual warfare becomes tense. Our burdens become so heavy. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 26 that for some times we do not know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit helps us. He helps us to pray with groanings that cannot be expressed. Hallelujah. So God's rest, God's mode of rest and our mode of rest differs. So we should understand that this rest we are invited into, it is the rest of fulfillment. It is the rest of faith. We need to have faith if we are to rest. And the Bible also says in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, all the way um, to, to, to verse 8, there verse 7. The Bible talks about the same children of Israel that they were promised to enter the rest, but some of them did not enter. Why? Because they did not receive the good news. They did not receive the good news of God, of the invitation, by combining it with faith. And therefore, God rejected them, or he became their enemy. We read that. Also, in the book of Isaiah, same thing. And then God said, okay, because these people have failed to obey me, they have failed to obey my laws, and they have failed to enter the rest that I promised them through Moses, my servant, I am going to create another day. Okay? I'm going to create another different day and then 
he called this day today. Let me just read that very quickly. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fall, might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they did not share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we believe can enter his rest. Only we who believe can enter his rest. As the others said, as, as, as for others God said, in my anger, I took an oath that they will never enter my rest, my place of rest. Now, let me, let me quickly jump to verse 7. The Bible says, let me read verse 6 first. So God's rest is there for people to enter. Even today, this rest is there for you and me to enter. But those who first heard this good news, failed to enter because they disobeyed God. Verse 7. So God set another time for entering his rest and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice don't harden your hearts. And then verse 8 goes to say now, if Joshua had given them rest, there would have been no any other place of setting up another day by God, which is called today. So today, children of God, the same message, the same invitation, which was proclaimed to them, which was given to them, to say, come and enter this rest, it still stands and it is up to you and me to accept or to decline it. But I would like to encourage you that do not decline this invitation. Instead, accept it gladly. Hallelujah. So he's saying, come to me. All you with these conditions who are weary and heavy burdened and he has given the promise, I will give you rest. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then this, the other thing that we are going to see is that, so there is come to me and then after the promise of I'll give you rest, then he's saying something again. He's saying, Take, verse 29, take my yoke upon you. I'm sure somebody now will be thinking to say, wait a minute. He's saying, come to me, all you who are heavy, burdened, and I'll give you rest. And then, he's continuing to say, take my yoke. He's again bringing another yoke. 
That yoke actually is not a bondage. Hallelujah. When we come to Jesus, what Jesus does is he sets us free from the yoke of oppression of the enemy. He sets us free. The Bible says that in John chapter 8 verse 32 that and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Verse 36 says that and if the Son of God sets you free, you shall be free indeed. So Jesus sets us free when we accept this invitation. And after he sets us free, then he yokes us with himself. Hallelujah. There is a divine exchange of yokes. He breaks the yoke of demonic powers over your life. All the shackles of the enemy, he breaks them off your shoulders, off your necks, off your, off, off your ankles. And then he yokes you up with his own yoke. Now, when we, when we think about the picture of this yoke, those that are farmers or those that are familiar with, uh, with, with oxen, with animals, that plow, What, what the yoke does is, when, when they make it with wood, they put it in the neck of the oxen. Actually, they put a pair. Okay? And it is, and I've, I've heard some farmers say that if you, if they have one of the oxen which is weak, they are going to yoke it with one which is more powerful. And after they yoke the two together, the weak one and the strong one, what is going to happen is that this weak one is going to be complemented by the strong one as they are putting that plow. Hallelujah. In the same way, in the same way, you and me, when we get delivered from the power of the enemy, Jesus brings us and is giving us this picture to say, take this yoke of mine upon yourself. Now, this yoke actually, it is a yoke of instruction according to the Jewish understanding, you know. It is taking up the yoke of understanding, the, the yoke of learning, the yoke of discipleship. You enter into the covenant with Jesus to say, okay, Lord, I've not just accepted you as my Lord and personal Savior, but I, I, I'll go a mile by submitting under your authority, sitting at your feet, and begin to learn from you. That's when you begin to learn, to, to learn the word of God through Bible study, devotion time, prayer, Daily call, you know, uh, prayer time. All those things, you begin to learn from the Lord. Through fellowship, women ministry, you know, uh, men's ministry and so on. And so, youth ministry, children ministry and so on and so forth. It means you have subjected yourself under the yoke of Jesus Christ. And then he has even given another promise to say, look, take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. Let me teach you. 
because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Look at, look at this. Every time Jesus gives a promise, you know, every time, if he first offers the invitation to say, come to me, you who are heavy burdened. And then he repeats the same phrase, and I'll give you rest. Here he's saying, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Learn from me. And he describes himself. This is the only time when Jesus describes his nature. He did not describe himself to say, I am the prophet. I am the priest. I am the what? You know, all these big titles. He just says, I am humble and gentle at heart. And you find rest for your souls. How beautiful and marvelous it is to sit and learn under the master who is gentle and humble. Being a student for quite a number of years, for my Bachelor of Theology, my accounting technician, my, my Master of Divinity, I've met some professors <laughs> that are not actually humble and gentle. Some of them are very rough. But Jesus is saying, I am gentle and humble at heart. Hallelujah. Meaning that he's willing to go with you day by day, step by step. Even when you fall down, he will lift you up and say, come on, you can do it, Stephen. You can do it, Daniel. You can do it, VCFers. Begin to move. It's okay. He's not going to whip us and say, you failed. Ah, that's it. You don't belong to the kingdom. No. He's very gentle and humble. Hallelujah. He's saying, learn from me. Learn from me. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, and then he's saying, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So as I earlier said that there is the exchange of burdens, he takes off the burden of sin out of you and me. He takes off the burden of sickness, the burden of oppression from the shackles of the enemy. And then he burdens you with the love to begin to share to others. He burdens you with the spiritual giftings to begin to work with him. And even as you are doing that, it's not actually you who is doing it, but it is the spirit of God that is working through you and me. Hallelujah. Praise be to the name of Jesus. This reminds me of a picture of Christian in the in Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe some of you, you've read the book uh, by John Bunyan, the English scholar. Now, Christian in that movie 
you know, he comes into contact with a book. And in this book, he reads about a celestial city. And then it is described very well. Christian has been suffering all along with his friends and the community under the oppression of the taskmasters who are very cruel. You know, they want them to be working, laboring all the time. And then he comes into contact with this book and says, Ha! There is a city out there. They were calling the place the outer realms. There is a city out there in the outer realm where there is freedom, where there is peace, there is love, and all these good things. And Christian, you know, after, after coming into contact with this book, he just begins to talk about it all the time. He goes to the wife and says, Hey, Christiana, listen to what I've come into contact with. This book is very good. We need to go to this city, all of us. The wife begins to laugh and say, Ah, no, 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 no. You are losing your mind. It's better you choose between me, your wife, and your children, and that, you know, and becoming a dream or mission of yours of going to this city. Eventually, Christian decides to leave. And in that story, it is described that as Christian, you know, was pondering about these things on daily basis, of the sudden, he began to develop a burden. Now, there is a funny burden that they have, you know, they put, they portrayed on his back, a big, huge thing. You know, it was growing and it was like, it keeps on growing every hour. <laughs> and so he decided to go. And on the way, he meets the evangelist. In fact, he faces some challenges. Some friends, you know, are sent by the wife, you know, to come and capture him back. But he, he continues. He meets the evangelist who encourages him to say, go. He was like, I can do anything in this world to just get rid of this burden. It is so heavy upon me and it keeps on growing every hour. How should I get rid of this? The evangelist gives him instructions to say, go this way. Are you able to see the light at the end there? Go straight and enter through that gate. You are going to get rid of this burden. He struggles through at one time. He's in the mud, you know, and then he's thinking of dying of the sudden. Faithful comes and helps him. Okay? Help actually comes and helps him. You know? And then from there, he's deceived a little bit by, by being misled, you know, to say, no, you go the other direction. And then he goes to a place where there is the, 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 the rigorist, you know, the man of the law. He's given instructions, do this, do this, do this, and he finds that all these laws are just piling upon him and he's unable to even get rid of the burden. He's like, this is too much. How can I follow everything? And the rigorist is telling him to say, you have to do it. Help yourself. And actually he's almost crushed by the mountain. You know, these tablets, big tablets, like, you know, portraying the time of Moses. And then the evangelist shows up again and directs him to say, no, 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 you missed the way. 
Go this way. And after he goes, at one point, he sees the cross on the hill. And then he hears the voice calling him, Christian, come. Christian, come. And so Christian had to make a decision to hear the voice, to obey that voice, to follow it by turning away from the direction he was going, which was misleading, by following the voice. And when he reached on that cross, as he was just up there, he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then of the sudden, this burden just cut off and it rolled away off his back. Hallelujah. This is exactly what happens with us. We are like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress which was written by John Bunyan. We are heavy burdened with so many things. That burden at the back is filled with different things. Maybe it is worry about our future. Sometimes we worry, how is my life going to be when I reach 70? If you are 70, how will my life be when I reach 80? How, you know... I'll be turning 38 this year in June. I'm like, okay, at 40, how is my life going to be? At 50, you know, we begin to, to figure out all these things. So many burdens. Sometimes we worry about different things. But Jesus is saying, come to me. All you who are weary. All you who are worried. All you who are depressed. All you who are discouraged. And I will give you rest for your souls. Hallelujah. Look at this. There are three verbs that are in verse 28 and up to, and, and up to 30. Okay? Three words actually. There is one, come. Okay? And then the second one is take. Come to me, or you are weary. Take my yoke upon yourself. And the last one is learn from me. Come, take, learn. And after you've done all these things, you will find a rest. For your souls. Hallelujah. Now, when we obey his voice, just as the book of Hebrews has said, when we obey the voice of God, when we obey this invitation and come to Jesus, whatever issues that we may have, we lay it before him. Jesus is going to lift up all those burdens and he will give us rest. That's why the, the hymn writer said, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Hallelujah. We need to come to Jesus. And the invitation is still open. It was open to the children of Israel. 
and it is open today. The Bible says that there is an invitation to enter into the rest, not the Sabbath day, you know, the seventh day that was in the law, but on the day called today. And the writer of Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did, but soften it and then enter into this rest. Hallelujah. And as we do that, we are going to see that moving forward, even when you begin to pass through the fire, the rivers, the water will not sweep over you. The fire will not, you know, set you ablaze. The Apostle Paul calls the afflictions as the light afflictions. Hallelujah. He went through so much, but he calls them as the light afflictions. He says these momentary light afflictions, they are temporary and they are outweighed by the glory that is awaiting us. Most of the people, when they think about rest, they want to think about the eschatology, the eschaton life that is coming after we are dead. It is possible to experience God's rest now, beginning today. From the day when you became a child of God, a believer, you entered into this rest. I, have, I am a testimony. From March 2000, when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I entered into the rest. Yes, I have fought so many battles. But I have been emerging victorious through Christ Jesus, my king and commander in the battlefield. Hallelujah. Yes, I can go through things, you know, whereby some people they are like, I can feel this for you. I'm like, you don't understand. The grace is sufficient for me to glide through. Hallelujah. Because just as the psalmist David said that the Lord is my shepherd and I am good, if I can put it in those words. Amen. If the Lord is your shepherd, then you are good. Everything is cool. Hallelujah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. David was talking about rest. Now, animals... The sheep will only lie down after they have eaten. They have drunk water and now they are resting. They are in green pasture. That is, you know, showing the calmness of the soul. And then he says something in verse 4 that though I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He brings up the same thing of a shepherd, of a farmer. Just as Jesus is saying, take up my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let us allow Jesus Christ to harness us under his yoke, to guide us in the right path. 
to show us the way. Just as he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to my father except through me. Jesus is the way. Let him lead us in the right path. And by doing so, then we are going to enjoy this rest. We don't enjoy the rest most of the times because we are always at war. You see, it's like Jesus is saying, come this way, my son. You begin to walk, you know, and all of a sudden you turn. You know, he's saying, come this way, and then you are pulling yourself wanting to go the other side. Imagine that, you know, the oxen is yoked. They are a pair. For them to, to make progress, they need to move in one direction. That's how they are designed. That's how the yoke is designed. They need to walk in the same direction. So, one Oxen cannot be saying, okay, I'm going to go the other way. And then this one, you know, they begin to pull each other apart. No. They have to be together. When we come under the yoke of Jesus Christ, we need to move with him. In fact, he's a good leader. He goes in front. You know, he's not a commander who stands and say, attack! And then he stays behind. No, actually, <laughs> he goes first. And then we follow behind. Amen? He's our leader. He's saying, learn from me. Let me guide you. And you find rest for your soul. Even when you are fighting a battle. Even when you are passing through circumstances. When you are in Jesus, that burden is going to be lifted. Hallelujah. It is not going to kill you. You know? I've experienced, you know, my share of different burdens. But in the midst of all those burdens, I have seen the faithfulness of God. You'll be like Jesus Christ himself in the book of Matthew chapter 8. Is it verse 6? When he was sleeping in the boat and then The storm arose. The disciples were shouting, Master, don't you care that we are going to drown? We are going to die. And yet Jesus was fast asleep. (laughs) He was sleeping, resting. You know, every time I think about that scripture, I'm like, wow. The way we get scared you know, when something is happening. For example, like, the first time I came to the, to, the first time I went to Maribu uh, Beach in, after coming here in 2017, and then I heard for the first time the roar of the Pacific Ocean. Oh my goodness. My heart, you know, was throbbing very fast. Same as my wife, especially Stephen. You know, he didn't even want to go near until I had to convince him. Now, imagine the storm. And then the boat is about to flip. And as we are thinking about that storm, you know, which the disciples experience, let's not, you know, imagine it to be an easy storm. That was a furious storm. Why do I say so? It's because 
Men like Peter, who was shouting, was an experienced fisherman. And I don't think he never had an opportunity to experience dangerous storms for him to shout in that manner. For the fisherman who is experienced, the sailor, to shout like that, it must have really been a threatening one. Hallelujah. But look at Jesus. He is sleeping. And then after he wakes up, he just gives a command. Be still. And immediately, the storm comes down. Then he turns to the disciples and rebukes them. And he says, O ye of little faith, how long shall I put up with you? Oh my goodness. That, you know, makes me to think, I'm like, wow. I'm here to encourage each one of us that we have the master of the storm of life. We have the master of burdens. He's the master burden bearer. He bore all the burdens on the cross of Calvary. When he shouted and said, it is finished on that cross. And indeed, it was finished. The pain that you are passing through today, he already experienced it. You just need to surrender it to him. Everything that we are experiencing right now, Jesus felt it. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that God the Father allowed him to pass through all the sufferings and afflictions so that he could learn obedience. Hallelujah. In the same way, God will allow us to pass through these things. But as we are doing so, let us not worry because he is with us always. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Glory be to the name of the Lord. I'm just going to pray for us right now that God can help us. That we may find rest in Christ alone for our souls. Even in the midst of the storm, we will be at ease. Even in the midst of chaos, as everyone is jumping around, we'll be at ease. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to say thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness right now. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. We pray that, Lord, may you give us the obedient hearts. Give us that humility in our hearts, O oh Lord, to be able to humbly accept your word. Give us the grace, O oh God, to have the revelation on how to relate with you, Jesus. Give us the grace, Lord, to be able to accept the invitation which you are saying every day, come. When we are suffering, you are saying, come. When we are sick, you are saying, come. When we are oppressed, you are saying, come. May we come to you, O Lord, with all our hearts, abandoning every other solution that we, we think is a solution, but which is not. We pray that, O God, help us in Jesus' name.
I pray right now that, Lord, may you cause every burden to be lifted up off our shoulders. And indeed, may we be yoked with you, our king, our priest, our prophet, our master, our Lord and Savior. And may we learn from you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. For your rest. Release this rest upon each one of us right now. Cause every noise of the soul to be calm right now. In the name of Jesus. Cause every voices of the enemy to be silent in our souls. Calm our souls down right now. In Jesus name. Thank you Lord. Bring healing upon our souls. Bring rest upon each one of us right now. Teach us to come. To you. Teach us to take the cross, the yoke, the burden of your word. And Lord, teach us to learn from you so that our souls may find rest in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. amen. The Lord bless you and the Lord favor you. Amen.